um, this morning, I just want to speak on something that God has been uh, just challenging me. And, uh, you know, there are times in life, isn't it, uh, when we come up with situations that seem so messed up. Uh, I'm going to take a quick um, uh, shout out. How many of us have had situations in life where we felt it's so messed up, there's no redeeming it? Yeah? Yeah. Okay, how many? How many? Come on, come on. Nobody. Yes, I see like hands going like this, right? You can put a hand up, right? It encourages me because otherwise I'm feeling very alone here that I'm the one who's the only one who's uh, saying this and maybe God was just speaking to me. But I believe he is speaking to all of us this morning. That there are times in life when we come across situations that are so messed up, we say, God, can you redeem this situation? Can you possibly turn it around? Now, these situations could come through, uh, you know, my own personal choices. It could come through mistakes of mine. It could come through life circumstances. And, you know, there are moments in life where I've said, God, I wish I could put pause, edit, go back, replay, correct. Okay? Uh, we had uh, oh, about two years now. It's Amazing, isn't it, how time passes? But it's nearly two years since we've uh, started um, the whole COVID situation and having to go live stream and all that. And getting into live stream was a whole different uh, ball game because you're up here, you're preaching to an empty church where there's not a single soul. Praveen is the only one at the back operating the cameras, videoing you so that you're able to speak to the congregation. But there was one good thing in live stream. You know what it is? You could edit out the gaffes. So when you make the mistakes, you could go back and edit them out. Remove them. And sometimes you never knew what we might have said, right? And you could go back. Life, church, on the other hand, there's no going back. Once you've said it, it's out there. And it's on record. But, um, you know, that was, that was a wonderful feeling. And I was listening to a podcast recently, and you just find that gaffes happen at every possible place. And this is a very respected uh, person who was doing this, um, sorry, not podcast, it was an audio book. And um, I was listening to this while driving, and at a certain point he says, and let's go back and do that again. And um, we find, I found that he was redoing the whole section he did. And I found, to my amazement, that the person who was editing his uh, audiobook had made a mistake. They didn't edit out his mistake. So he made a mistake when he was speaking. And whilst he's speaking, he says, and let's go back and do that again. And he does it again, and they did it with the mistake. So there you go. You can have the best of productions and still have mistakes. But life is not like that. When we make a mistake, unfortunately, there's no going back and doing an edit. We got to live with the consequences. And sometimes that can be very hard. Today I want to speak of a man whose life was so messed up that I think some of us might find it even hard to relate to him. And some of us might just hold our head in horror and say, oh my goodness, could it get any worse? And the man's name is Jacob. 
Now, Jacob, um, we know as the grandson of Abraham, the father of Joseph. And often we will focus on Joseph's story because Joseph's story comes with a good ending, right? He goes, he gets a promise, he goes through a journey, life is hard, but there's a great ending. And Joseph is probably the role model. But then we have before Joseph, we have Jacob. And Jacob's life is like, oh my goodness, it couldn't get any worse. In fact, when uh, Jacob uh, comes into Egypt, Pharaoh is speaking to him. And Pharaoh asks him, and Jacob said, uh, how, uh, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130 my years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of my pilgrimage of my father. He is a man who's probably 130. I don't know if at 130 the guy would have been bent or what, right? Uh, in our context, for sure, he would have been struggling a bit. Okay, I don't know if anyone's got there. 130. But the guy is like, oh, wow, it's been a difficult life. It's been a difficult life. It's been a difficult life. And maybe there are some of us at 20, at 30, at 40, at 50, who are still saying the same. Oh God, it's been a difficult life. It's been a difficult life. And maybe this morning, you're standing here, or seated here rather, and you're saying, God, it's been a difficult life. What happened in Jacob's life? It was like the man couldn't come up for breath. It started before he was born. It says that in his mother's womb, there was jostling and fighting going on. And so much so that um, Rebecca, his mother, goes before God and says, what's going on? And God says, within your womb are two nations. And the younger, or, or uh, the older will serve the younger. And it started right there. This whole fighting, turmoil, battle. And Jacob is born. And when he's born, Esau comes out first. But Jacob, his spirit is already a bit of a, you know what, I want to get ahead in life. So what does he do? He puts his hand out. This is a baby, right? He puts his hand out of the womb. He grabs hold of Esau's heel and he comes out grabbing hold of Esau's heel. And what do they call him? They call him Jacob. And what does Jacob mean? It means that he is a deceiver. What a legacy. Start your life with a branding. Start your life with a branding. Talk about setting you up for success. Right? His parents literally set him up for disaster. And here the guy comes out. He's um, already got a name for himself. But life goes on. And Jacob wants to get more for himself. So what does he do? His brother goes hunting. Um, 
or, or rather he, 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 his brother comes home, he's cooked a good meal and he wants some of the stew. So Jacob sees opportunity and he says, if you sell me your birthright, you will have my stew. And his brother Esau, he didn't care very much. He was just so hungry. He was like, forget the birthright. I'll die without it. Give it to me, the stew. But Esau didn't value something. And the birthright meant something. So Jacob's life is starting to evolve. He comes out a deceiver. He lives up to his name. He starts to do things to try to get, manipulate, and manufacture the life that he believed he wants. And so often we find that in life, we tend to go that way, manufacturing our own destiny. But life doesn't go that well. A little later, we find that there is family favoritism in the home. And Isaac, Jacob's father loves Jacob's elder brother Esau. Rebecca loves Jacob. So what happens? There is now family conflict. And you can see all this is messing up and forming Jacob's character. There is deception. There is favoritism. Uh, so there is a sense of rejection in his life. I am not valued. I am not worth. So then his mother steps in and his mother starts to manipulate the situation. And she says, well, you have an opportunity. Your father is going to give the blessing to your elder brother as is rightfully his. But let's turn this situation around. And she gets Joseph, uh, Jacob into a place where Jacob goes, manipulates the blessing himself. What happens? Hatred comes out of that. His brother hates him and tries to kill him. So Jacob flees to his uncle's house in Padan Aram. So you can see the journey that's starting to evolve. And I don't know, but to many of us, uh, we can look at this journey and say, how messed up. Living in a home like that, enduring situations like that. And Jacob goes into this place under his uncle Laban and you'd think that now life is going to change but deception starts to follow him and we find that Jacob in the house of Laban he says okay can I I want to marry your daughter Rebecca so the uncle says sure work for me for seven years and you can have my daughter so Jacob commits himself, he works hard, seven years, seven years, he gets married, he goes and he finds, uh, when he goes into the bedchamber, he finds that he's got Leah, the other sister, and not Rachel. He's been deceived. He's been taken for a ride. And then he goes and he confronts his uncle, and his uncle says, well, customarily, you had to marry the older one first and the younger one second. So another seven years and you can have the second daughter. So another seven years, the guy is working. And you can see there must have been a lot of resentment in his heart. He must have been, I got tricked. I got put down. I got a bad end of the stick. I'm going to work hard because I want what I want. He gets Rebecca. 
And then the uncle tells him, you want to leave? Six years more he works to be able to get the right to leave. 20 years he's stuck in a bad situation. And then he comes back and life gets worse and worse and worse and worse. His brother is out to kill him. And God intervenes. Then we find that uh, his daughter, the only daughter he has, gets molested. And that is a terrible thing. And you can imagine how that would have broken the spirit of Jacob. His, her brothers take vengeance and go and uh, decimate a whole uh, village as revenge. And Jacob says, you have caused me to become a stench among these people because of what he did. His life is unraveling as mess after mess after mess after mess. And then, to top it all, his youngest son, whom he adores, is supposed to have got killed. At that time, he didn't know otherwise. And it was like devastation after devastation. And I don't know if you can identify, but there are times in life where you're like, God, when does it change? When does it change? Because every situation seems to be a worse situation. And every situation doesn't seem to give. And I just want to look in this context at some principles that we can see. And the first is this. That God never gives up on us. No matter how bad our situation might seem, no matter how impossible our situation might seem, no matter how discouraged we might be, we can be encouraged that God never gives up on us. Because though Jacob was a deceiver, Though he was a man who had taken and snatched and tried to work things his own way, God still appears to him. And we're going to read Genesis chapter 28. And it says, he had a dream. Now he's on his way. He's escaping from his brother who's trying to kill him and he's going to Laban, his uncle. And in between, God appears to him. Who is God appearing to? He's appearing to a man who had no concern for God, a man who was going about doing life his own way, who was taking his own destiny in his own hands, and still God has not given up on him. And friends, I want to encourage you, where we are on the journey is immaterial. God still has a plan for your life. There is still hope for every one of us. And God has not given up on him. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with the top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and the east, the north and the south. All the peoples and all the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you 
and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. And God is telling him, Jacob, pay attention because I have a plan and a purpose from your life. You are running, you are going your own direction, but I want you to stop and remember that it is me who is unfolding my plan in your life. Let me take control. But Jacob finds that very hard. Jacob wants to dictate. He wants to get in on being in control. So even with a great promise from God, with a word that I would like to have, right, that I am with you and I will not leave you, I will fulfill what I want, Jacob still says, God, let me just say something. And here's what he says. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking, and will give me food and e to eat and, and clothes to drink, uh, to wear, um, so that I return sa safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. So he is turning this around and saying, God, you are giving the promises, but now I'll put the conditions. Have we ever found that works with God? It doesn't, does it? Right? He says, God, let me turn this around. You've given me some promises, but now I'll lay some conditions. If you do this and this, if it all stacks up, then... The Lord will be my God. So he is basically saying, God, I love your promises, but I'm rejecting them. If you meet me on my terms, then I will accept you. And you think that God would say, well, that's the end of the story. Let's move on. Because it's my way, not yours. But God is a God of grace and mercy. And I can't tell you how many times I have done the Jacob thing. Where God has spoken and God has given me a word and I've said, God, just a little of my terms on this. Let me do it my way. And then if it works out my way, I give you the praise. Have you ever done that? Where God has said, this is my way. And I've said, but I have a better way. Bless my better way and I will give you praise. And Jacob did that, but God is patient. God lets him go. And I think when I read this story, I think the 20 years of suffering may have been just his own doing. Because God had given him some promises but he had wanted to do it his way. He wanted to do it his way. So he went to Laban, no concept of God, and he started to work life on his terms. And then, 20 years later, God appears to him again, and he said, Jacob, it's time to return. It's time to return. And I just want to encourage us that sometimes we walk journeys that God didn't intend for us. 
We walk paths that are painful by choices that we've made. But I want to tell you that if you are there at the crossroads, make the choice for God. But sometimes we've gone past the crossroad. We walk down the path and we are somewhere in the middle and we are in the place where life is so messed up that we wonder if there's hope. And God has not given up on Jacob. At that point, the crossroads now long gone. He's on the journey. He's come to the place where what is there in this? And God says, Jacob, it's time to return. It's time to return. But to Jacob's credit, he decided to obey. And Jacob picks up his family, his uh, livestock. God works miraculously there. And he starts to head back to the purpose of God. And friends, this morning, life doesn't have to be messed up. It doesn't have to be where we've gone, the crossroad. God gives us a choice and we made the wrong one. We've gone down here and we're like, God, I can't anymore take my life. And God speaks to you as he did to Jacob. And he says, Jacob, head back. And Jacob starts to head back. And God starts to do some wonderful things. God speaks to Jacob. He had a supernatural encounter with God. Here's what happened. So, Jake, uh, so Jacob's come to um, a stream. He realizes Esau, his brother, is on the other side now, ready to kill him after 20 years, still the hatred's pretty high, right? He's like, nothing's changed. This guy, if he comes back, he's finished. And he's on the other side. And Jacob's still in his own planning. He says, okay, I'll appease my brother. I'll send some gifts ahead. Gifts for camels, gifts for, uh, you know, uh, goats, all these things. And he sent them in waves. And he said, when my brother comes to you, the first lot, and he says, who do these belong to? Say, they belong to Jacob, but they are a gift for Esau. And then when he comes to the second lot, and he's trying once again in his own ability, he's got a word from God saying return, and he's still trying to fathom it and work it out. He's still trying to put in the Jacob factor. And he's doing it his way. And there he has an encounter with God. See what happens. So Jacob was left alone. He sent all the, the, uh, the, the possessions he had. He sent his wives. He sent his children. And Jacob is alone. He's the last man to cross the water. And he's like, this could be life or death for me. Because my brother could accept the gifts and still decide to kill me. Or my brother might forgive. But God appears to Jacob. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. 
so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and humans and have overcome. So God does something that we don't find happening very often elsewhere, where God comes and he is personally confronting Jacob. And I wonder why he decided God would wrestle with a man. Why would God, who is all-powerful, wrestle with a man, right? Um, I don't know, how many watch Survivor? Yeah? Okay, all those challenging games of, you know, they're, they're wrestling one another, they're, all, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I was just trying to picture God, the creator of heaven and earth, coming down in the form of a man, wrestling with this guy, and letting the guy feel he could overpower him. Why would he do that? He was trying to tell Jacob something. Jacob, you think that you can get everything in your strength. You think you can wrestle even with God and overpower in your own strength. And God says, I'll settle this matter once and for all. And he touches Jacob's hip. And with that one touch, last time, last week we were hearing of the one touch and the one touch healed. This one touch dislocated his hip for life. He walked with a limp for life. But it was a reminder that you know what? God will prevail. You can wrestle. You can fight. You can try in your strength. But God will prevail. And I want to tell us this evening, maybe we are on the journey. We are heading back. And you know the wonderful thing? The places of the deepest understanding of God is often in the place where we are at the lowest. Isn't it? In the place where we feel that all hope is gone, that is where we encounter God. And Jacob encountered God, but he had to come to one realization. That to continue in the journey with God, you need to surrender. You need to surrender. And Jacob fought to try and preserve himself. I am able. I can even overcome God. I can stand against. And God just in one touch reminds Jacob, Jacob, you are under me. And if you will live the life of surrender, you will walk with my blessing. And friends, Jacob had to realize that. And Jacob's life from there onwards, he crosses over. It didn't become easy. It didn't become easy. Everything didn't fall into place. But it became a life that was empowered. It was a life that had the power of God at work. Jacob before was a Jacob I depend on myself. Everything about me is by my wit and my ability. 
Jacob from here onwards is, I'm looking to God. Everything in my life depends on God. Every part of my journey. And there are times, I'll tell you, where I have gone through situations that have taught me that God is faithful. That God is faithful even in the times where I don't feel him. That he is there with me. And I want to give us very quickly um, a couple of thoughts to take home today. So that's the story of Jacob. But 1,200 years later, Jacob's family has now prospered. They have gone through difficult situations in Egypt. They have now come through by the power of God into their own land. They've prospered and they have become a little more like Jacob. They have started depending on themselves instead of God. They've started behaving like everyone else, whereas the journey had shown them that God is faithful. And now we find, 1,200 years later, we find the book of Isaiah. And God is speaking in the book of Isaiah to a nation that has turned its back on God. A nation that has seen the goodness, the grace, and the favor of God, but has chosen to go its own way. And as I was looking at this, I was thinking, God, it could happen so easily. Where, you know, we walk in the presence of God, we walk in the goodness, and then we forget. And then we forget. And they had forgotten, 1,200 years had passed, they had forgotten about God. They had started to go to all the other pagan uh, rituals, the altars, and they had put God out of the picture. And in Isaiah, we find that Isaiah chapter 1 to 39 is God speaking judgment on Israel because they had moved away from God. But this is what I love about God. He never gives up on us. He never gives up on us. Can we say that this morning? God never gives up on us. He never gives up on us. And we think that this is it. 39 chapters is devoted to the punishment that God is going to bring on the nation. And then chapter 40 brings a turnaround. And God says, but I am faithful. You have fallen. You're going to bring calamity on yourself as a result of what you've done. But I am faithful faithful. You know, um, I love this passage. It's where Jesus is about to go to the cross and he speaks to Simon Peter, one of his closest disciples, and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has sought or asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. 
And we find that Jesus sees that Simon is going to fail. He sees the journey of Simon, but he doesn't give up on him. He doesn't say, Simon, you think you're a big shot? You think that you're going to follow me? I can tell you ahead you're going to fail me. But he doesn't stop there. He says, Satan wants to sift you. He wants to break you. But I want you to know that I have prayed for you. And today at the right hand of God sits Jesus. And when you and I fail and we have messed up and we are feeling, is there any more hope? He says, Father, I've paid the price. I've paid the price for Andrew. I've paid the price for what he's done. There is forgiveness. There is hope. Restore today the destiny that there is for him. And that's what happened in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, God says, but I am faithful. I want to read that to you. And I've put it down this way as a couple of things that we can do that God wants us to. The first is to remember. Remember who he is. If we want to turn around in life, he says this in Isaiah 40 verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow weary or tired and his understanding no one can fathom. So he's saying, you want the turnaround like Jacob did. Then remember who God is. Because that is the starting point of change. And maybe this morning you're in a very messed up situation. Maybe not half as messed up as Jacob or maybe even somewhere there. And God says, there is hope for you. But hope comes with remembering who I am. What does it say there? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of heaven and earth. When we start to remember who God is, it changes everything in life. Because until we realize that God, the power and the glory of God, and there are times where I have prayed over situations and I have prayed with no faith. I've prayed over a situation and I've just been like going in the circle. God, I need an answer, I need an answer, I need an answer, I need an answer, I need an answer. But no knowledge that God is the answer. And then suddenly God shows up. And God just challenges you with who he is. And suddenly you step back and you're like, God, you are able. And I'll tell you, it has affected my prayer life significantly. Because today I don't pray a prayer of God if you can. I don't pray that prayer. Because that is not scriptural about God if you can. Because the Bible says that nothing is impossible for God. So maybe today you're, you're in a place and you're saying, God, it's all messed up if you can. And God is saying, it's not if I can. 
it, if you will. God is putting it back on us, if you will. When Jacob came to the place of surrender, God entered his situation. And God was able to do things in his life. So friends, remember who I am. Isaiah 40, it goes on. And it says, uh, uh, you know, the Lord starts to speak to Jacob. And I'll read that again. Uh, Do you not know, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God? He will not grow weary. And his understanding no one can Remember what I do. Remember what I do. Remember who I am. I am the everlasting God. Remember what I do. And friends, when we start to remember the wonders of God, and I'll tell you something, uh, there is something powerful of remembering. Because when we remember something rises up within us. It starts to encourage our spirit. And today, many of us have, rather than remember, started to forget. And that's what happened in 1,200 years. They had started to forget. And God is starting to tell them, remember. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Remember that hope comes through me. And maybe today, You're saying, God, I'm trying it all. God, I'm doing everything I can. And God says, remember, your hope is found in me. They that put their hope in the Lord will renew their strength. God is with you. God is with you. And you might be at the place where you've taken a decision in life. You've gone down the path and maybe this evening God is speaking to you and he's saying, return. Return. Shall we stand together? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. But I just want to speak to our hearts this morning. Maybe we are in the place that I just spoke of. And maybe as I was preaching this morning, the Lord is speaking to you as he does to me and saying, I want you to return. Mm -hmm.